Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Garbara. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or you can learn more about our community and learn how you can support us at workerbeing.com slash community. So today we're going to be talking about perfectionism at work. And it's interesting to think about perfectionism because I feel like a lot of people claim to be perfectionists, whether or not they are, is, you know, debatable in the research, right? <laughs> but I was wondering, Katina, if you consider yourself to be perfectionist, and if you don't, if there's like a specific area in your work or life where maybe you are more so than normal. Um, it's a really good question. I think that my natural state is not so much that way like I think that um normally I feel like if you can get it like 99% of the way then that's fine um Mm -hmm. I think that from graduate school and like the jobs that we do I think it's been like beaten into my brain to pay attention to things that I think like people don't naturally pay as much attention to So when I go through papers and edit them and things like that, I find that I find a lot of mistakes and errors and like, and, and I think that's just because I just am trained to do that. So I think I've become more skilled at noticing when things are off, but I don't think that my nature is to like be super concerned with things being perfect. That's what I would say. I would agree. Yeah. That's what I would thought about you. I was thinking about, you know, the way we work together and how we kind of both similarly will be like, you know, this is good enough. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, we don't have to spend seven more hours trying to make this exactly perfect. Like we're, we're close. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that in that sense, we're similar, but I think I have become more that way over time. Mm-hmm. So I think the opposite of you. Because <laughs> um, like in school, I remember like in elementary school and then even in uh, grad school, like I remember just like, you know, I wanted to have 100% on everything. Like everything needed to be perfect. Everything needed to be exactly right. I wanted everything to like always, like specifically for school stuff, yeah. not even in about anything else in my personal life, but for school stuff, I wanted it to always be perfect. And I was really upset when it wasn't perfect yeah. and hard on myself if it wasn't perfect. But then I think as I started, even I think towards the end of grad school, which ironically, I feel like grad school should have taught me to be more obsessive about perfection because that seems to be what generally happens. I think I learned towards the end that like I don't have time right. to be 100% perfect on everything yeah, right. all the time. Right. And so I've kind of, become more lax about it and I think that now in my career I'm similar to you where it's like you know if I can get it as close to perfect as possible great but I also know that my time is valuable and it's not worth spending a ton of extra time to get something to like 100% perfect yeah that's kind of interesting um I think uh with like grades and stuff I feel like I I always had like a guardrail on it like if I got like a 97 on something, I would be like, oh crap, like I'm being too lackadaisical. I got to like pick it up. Um, but like, I feel that, uh, I've grown increasingly insane over time. (laughs) 
<laughs> like I think my friend I think my friends in high school would basically say like I was chill all the time like I was just like yeah I got it like it's fine and I wasn't real revved up or amped up about things I was always just like it'll be all right it's fine I got that done it was good but I was never like concerned about it and I think I've gotten increasingly more insane but I feel like I had a lot of room to like get more insane because I was just more my school was also pretty easy in high school so like I feel like I could not care that much and it always turned out well like it so I think as things got harder I like had to be like oh crap like I better kick it into gear um (laughs) but uh like I don't like to not do well so when it when I felt like my attitude was impacting my ability to do well. I kicked it up. And I think that's why I've gone increasingly more insane over time. Um, But I think if people who haven't seen me since high school saw me now, they'd be like, what the heck? (laughs) What happened to you? (laughs) You're crazy. Um, So I think, I think that's interesting that we kind of, you started like more amped about things and got a little more relaxed. And I started more relaxed and got more amped. But we ended up we sort of similarly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, well, one thing to note, and before I go into the takeaways, is that the way perfectionism is actually defined in the research literature is not just the striving for flawlessness mm-hmm. and like having really high standards for performance, but it's also the tendency to evaluate your own behavior in a really critical way. Mm. And I think that's where I've lack- gotten lax over time, mm-hmm. which has helped right? Like I don't think I'm as critical Mm -hmm. of what I do as maybe I was before. Um, so anyways, that's, that's interesting. It's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. That is that, that is, I think both a good reflection, but also I don't know that people always think of it that way. So that's probably, Mm -hmm. I would imagine interesting to people listening too, because that's not necessarily how I would have defined it without knowing that. Yeah, exactly. So I'll talk more about the details in a bit, but let me give you the high-level takeaways. So number one, work-related perfectionism can fluctuate from day to day uh, based on the employee's experiences at work and that these fluctuations can matter for their well-being. Hmm. That's number one. Okay. Number two, experiencing time pressure at work can cause what's called perfectionistic striving or trying to, you know, meet those high standards. And perfectionistic concern, which is where you're being really critical Mm. and you don't feel like you're, um, you feel like you're falling short. Okay. Number three, perfectionistic striving that, that work towards that high standard can lead to more vigor at the end of the day, which actually leads to more vigor when they go to bed. So it's kind of like a positive thing. Like it makes you feel more energized. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I'm I know. curious to find out um, more about uh, the concept as well as how its fluctuations impact because it sounds like it has uh, some pros and cons for people as they go about their work day. Yes, because then there's this other comp- the other component, the perfectionistic, perfectionistic concern. Wow, hmm. that took a little bit <laughs> to get out. That one. Um, so for my takeaway, I have a lot of takeaways for this one. Takeaway four. Oh is experiencing criticism at work can trigger perfectionistic concern. Mm. So if you're getting criticism and like bad criticism, not constructive, it can make you more concerned and feel like you're failing. And if you're experiencing that perfectionistic concern, 
then you tend to have more negative affect or you feel like a bad mood at the end of the work day. Mm -hmm. And then also at the time that you go to bed. That's interesting. And the, I have a bonus one. Ooh. So I told you a lot of takeaways. Yeah. My bonus takeaway, basically all the takeaways are going to just be de- dove into detail, but I think they're really good. Just note from yeah. the bonus takeaway is that basically if you want to um, help people not be so overly concerned or critical um, of themselves and feeling like they're falling short, it's just really important for the people around employees. So like your supervisors, your coworkers to just not make derogatory comments mm-hmm. about your performance. So constructive feedback is one thing, but, you know, making derogatory comments is going to lead to this really negative experience. That's kind of interesting. And I don't want to jump ahead, but we've talked before about psychological safety and the way in which that when you create psychologically safe environments, people feel comfortable to make mistakes or errors. And so it's sort of interesting in this context that you're sort of hitting on something that sounds similar, which is if people expect or you're getting criticized in a way that you feel like... I want to avoid that punishment, then you're striving for that perfection sort of to avoid, um, you know, the the possibility of making a mistake, but you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to do that, which I would imagine is not as healthy as being able to feel like you can sort of go outside the box on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good connection, right? Because the psychological safety, I think, kind of gets to the type of criticism that is fine. Right. If you're being constructive, you're making it a learning thing. It's like framed in a way that um, is helpful and isn't threatening. That is fine. Like there's no problem there. It's really that criticism that comes in an environment where you don't have that safety, where people are giving feedback in a style that's like really inconsiderate. Like, oh, that sucks. Like, Mm -hmm. why would you do that? Um, You know, if they're saying things that make it feel to the employee that it's something about themselves that's a problem Mm -hmm. um that's when you start to see this impact on perfectionism so it's really about that like bad harsh mean types of critical feedback Mm -hmm. not the constructive stuff yeah that makes a lot of sense um so Mm -hmm. i know i like put the cart before the horse a little bit there so um (laughs) so maybe we can uh rewind and go back to your first takeaway so that uh we're not sort of getting ahead of ourselves here. I got interested in that last piece, but I can wait. It is interesting. I'm with you. We'll probably spend the most time there anyways. Um, so work-related, work-related perfectionism. Clearly, I just want to talk really fast today. Um, <laughs> it's is okay. All Don't about- feel bad that it wasn't perfect. <laughs> yeah. No pressure on you. <laughs> I'll strive for perfection, which is good, but I won't be concerned. There we go. That's the bad part. There we go. Um, but work-related perfectionism is kind of like a specific definition of perfectionism. So earlier I'd said that perfectionism is this, um, characteristic where you're striving for flawlessness, setting really high performance standards for yourself, and you tend to be really harsh about, about your performance or what you're doing. When it's work-related, you know, it's again, just really specific to work. So you have very high standards for your work, um, and what you're doing and performing at work. And then at the same time, you're feeling that you fall short, like you're really critical of yourself and you don't feel like you're actually achieving um, what you think you should be achieving. Mm. So, and then there's the two components that I mentioned, right? So that's kind of those two components, right? You have the striving towards your high expectations, and then you have that concern feeling like you're not meeting there, those standards, you're falling short. 
So like if you think about how to measure it, the two items that are included that they gave as examples for that striving, it's one of the questions is today at work, I had high expectations for myself. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't sound bad, right? You put setting up good standards for yourself. You want to do really well. You know, sometimes that can be stressful, but it's not necessarily bad. But the concern piece, the measurement, one of the items is my performance at work barely measured up to my standards today. Hmm. So it's that feeling of like failing and you're not reaching that high expectation. So you're kind of in this cycle where you have to constantly do better, do better, do better because your standards are way beyond your reach basically. Hmm. So if you feel like you're falling short of the expectations that you're setting for yourself, that's negative. But if you're striving to do better, then that's more positive. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Cool. Okay. So really, if you're um, trying to get the best of both worlds with perfectionism, you might want to think about setting high goals, but it sounds like if you don't attain those goals, you shouldn't beat yourself up over it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. You want to think about how you can set like expectations that are high, but still reachable. And if you don't meet it someday, like it's okay, mm-hmm. right? There's other things that probably got in your way. Like it's not a big deal. Um, and the thing that's interesting is that perfectionism actually fluctuates. Mm. So, you know, there are between person differences, right? Like some people are more likely to be perfectionists than others. But there's also how you perceive your own work. Like how how much of a perfectionist are you today compared to tomorrow compared to yesterday, right? Like it's going to change from day to day. So this study was actually looking to see, well, what causes that to change? What causes you to be more of a perfectionist one day Hmm. um, compared to a different day? So of course we'll link to the study. It's super interesting and it's actually one of those free to read articles. So um, everyone can go in and actually read the article itself if they want. Um, but what they were doing was that one of those daily diary studies, right. That we've talked about before so that people can, so we could see how within a person, how does it fluctuate and why is it fluctuating? That's awesome. So, um, and just for folks, and I know we have talked about it before with regard to a daily diary, but it's where you have multiple surveys within a day so that you can actually look at from minute to minute as this is, as things are happening to people, what happens next? And instead of sort of predicting it over time where there's more noise involved, you measure something one week and then you measure the outcome another week or months later, how we usually look at things within organizations, um, especially internally, um, uh, when we're trying to do data analysis and working in a company, uh, these help us to really see like what's the direct immediate impact of uh, fluctuations of certain things in the environment, and in this case on perfectionism. Exactly. So the two things that they really looked at that came out as important was time pressure. So I mentioned that in the takeaways. So time pressure is really when an employee um, has too much to do in too little time, right? And it's not like, extended time pressure that like for weeks you have this time pressure but that day you just happen to have a lot on your plate um so it's really about that moment in time I'm sure I'd be really interested to see like effects of this type of stuff longer term but within this study it's really looking like day to day so if you have a day where you've got like a million things to do that would be a high time pressure day Hmm. okay and so yeah so that leads that first takeaway that I mentioned where when you have that high time pressure, it actually positively predicts both the 
perfectionistic striving and the perfectionist concern. So it kind of is a wash, right? You've got mm-hmm. the good and the bad when you have the time pressure. You really have set expectations that are high for yourself. You're like, I can do this. I can achieve all of it at once. But then you also tend to feel like, oh, I didn't do as well as I could have. You know, maybe you didn't meet every single goal. You didn't do every single task because there really wasn't an ability to do that. So you kind of have both happening at once when you're talking about time pressure. Okay. So time pressure just makes you be more profession perfectionistic. Why can't we say that? Um, perfectionistic, <laughs> um, in general. And it is kind of like a funny thing that a word about being a perfectionist makes people not be able to say it perfectly. Um, but it's like a cruel joke. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> um, so when you're in a time pressure environment, it seems like, and maybe you'll talk about this a little bit, but if there's another way to get to perfectionism that just has to do with the striving part and not the criticism part, um, one way to get to the good part could be through time pressure, but it seems like time pressure has this kind of double-edged sword associated with it. So um, if you're interested in creating more perfectionistic striving at work, uh, you're going to kind of have to deal with the fact that there's these negative consequences if you're going to try to do it through time pressure. So time pressure might not be an ideal way to motivate the good parts of perfectionism in general. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, this I didn't find a way that only impacts the positive. So I don't know if it's as easy to kind of split those two apart from the positive perspective. Um, But like, I'm just thinking again, not data driven by any means, but just based on the reading of this paper and kind of understanding the concept here, I'm thinking that, like you were saying, if you set kind of more difficult yet achievable, like high reaching goals, um, even throughout the day, that could probably help you get to that striving piece. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you don't then allow yourself to beat yourself up if you don't reach that high goal. Um, so it might be something you could actively try to do versus kind of an environmental factor of time pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the reason why you'd want to do that, though, is because we did see that in this study that when people were high on perfectionistic striving, they were more energized at the end of the workday. And then that led them to being more energized at bedtime. So like generally, they're just like feeling a lot better um, if they have gone through the striving during the day. Yeah. So it's not that being a perfectionist is negative it's just that there are some downsides of perfectionism but it sounds like those can be avoided um, potentially and the upsides could be capitalized on yeah because it's these two components are they're clearly coming out as separate and they have separate results so I think that if you can focus in on one piece of the perfectionism great but once you bring in the concerns that's where you face problems so the key finding, I mean, I'll talk about the criticism in a second, but the key finding with the concern piece is that when you have really high perfectionistic concern, AKA, you feel like you're not meeting your standards. You feel like you're failing. You feel like, um, you know, you're not as good as you want to be. That's going to put you in a bad mood. You're going to have negative affects. You're going to feel sad, bad, etc at the end of the workday, and then you're going to feel that same way at, at bedtime. So basically you're taking it home with you and you're going to feel like kind of crappy um, the rest of the day. And so it's obviously going to have an impact on your wellness because then you're probably 
not going to do great things at home, right? You're not going to be mm-hmm. feeling good. You're not going to recover as well, have good rela- conversations with your people in your life. Um, you're going to be kind of the grouch. And then you go to bed, the grouch, and they didn't look to see how it impacted you the next day. But uh, we know from other studies that probably not going to be a great impact for your next day. Mm-hmm. So having that concern is really problematic. And then the you know, the key piece that we can change is how we give criticism because that's what really had the biggest impact on the concern. So experiencing that criticism didn't have any impact on the striving piece, but it did predict higher levels of perfectionistic concern. So if people are putting you down saying your work sucks, you know, I think this wasn't, you know, this wasn't good, nothing helpful, like they're being really negative, then you're going to feel like you're not meeting your standards, right? And you're going to feel like you are failing in some way. And that is a problem. Yeah. And it feels like that's such an easy fix. But often when people are folks who give really unhelpful or negative feedback, they don't see it in themselves. So I would Mm -hmm. imagine that it could be useful to implement some training around this to make sure that people are being held accountable for the type of feedback that they're providing. Um, And I would also imagine that if you see or know of somebody who really gives just like downer feedback, that there should be some kind of a, a way of intervening or that people in the organization should care enough to address that because they're not just having destructive effects on other aspects of the person, but they're causing the person to be super critical of themselves, which I would imagine is not great for well-being down the line. Yep, exactly. Right. Cause it, it turns into that negative affect. So then you've got these mood issues. And of course that could probably lead to further challenges with wellness over time. So like when you really whittle down the study, I think there's a lot of interesting pieces in here, but like the key message is don't be a jerk when you give feedback. <laughs> try to be constructive. Try to be, um, you know, turn it into a learning experience. Don't make people feel like it has to do with something about them, that they're bad, they're a problem. But really think about how to be as constructive as possible and not threatening in the way you give feedback. And, you know, if you're an employee and you have a leader that's doing this kind of behavior, that's giving that destructive criticism, you know, um, one, I don't know if that person's gonna be open to feedback, even though they're they speak that way, mm-hmm. but maybe they are, maybe there's a place you can speak to them or you could speak to their leader to give that feedback, to try to help them learn how to give better feedback. Um, but I think understanding as an employee that if you're getting this kind of feedback and you're starting to beat yourself up about it, taking that step back, like, again, this isn't in the study specifically, but I think it would help to, you know, kind of take a step back, try to be a little bit more mindful about what you're actually doing and what is the real message in that story and not not take it personally. And that's really hard to do. But if you're able to kind of swim through that kind of negative feedback the best way you can, then you'll probably be able to mitigate some of these concerns. But hopefully you don't have to do that for yourself. Hopefully you can just be better about it for other people. And maybe there's some leaders around you that can just get the training they need. And so companies can give training. That's another piece. Yeah. Train people on how to give good feedback, constructive feedback and what not to say, not how to be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm thinking, I mean, one of the things that's sort of like implicit in this story is that 
people are giving feedback to folks in a way that's unkind or just demotivating or, you know, more destructive. And if they're giving them feedback, it probably means that they think they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not doing a good job. But what could be unbeknownst to them is that person is actually really beating themselves up over the fact that they've received this feedback. So I think there's sort of a an interesting nugget in there that if you're a person that's giving a, giving someone feedback and it's harsh feedback that's not constructive, you might be assuming that because they haven't done what you want them to do, they might not care. But underlying this data is basically the idea that a lot of folks might care and it might be really negative um, for them to have experienced uh, the feedback that you provided. So just because someone hasn't done what you want them to do on one thing doesn't seem like it means that they won't take that to heart and really be upset about it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it kind of gets to like what you're saying, this idea of like a poor performer within an organization. And I've been um, I've been working with some folks that have said, someone that I work with said um, that they don't believe that poor performance is real, that poor fit or poor leadership is real. And I was thought that was a really interesting thing to say because, you know, obviously there's people that are, they're just not good at that specific task mm-hmm. or work. And that's kind of that poor fit piece, right? It's not like they're bad performers, but they're just fit isn't right. So they got to find that right fit. But there's also that piece here with the leadership. If you're not getting feedback that's useful, if you're getting it in a way that it feels like there's something wrong with me, I'm a failure, I'm not able to meet these standards, and you start to like attribute it to yourself, it's really hard to work back from that. But if you're getting feedback from a leader that's constructive and saying, these are the types of behaviors that might help you, or let's get you this coaching, or let's do these things, then you can start to work on it and you'll start to, most people will start to improve, right? Unless you're in that poor fit situation, which is few and far between. So you have to have the right person, the right leaders to like lead people into a better performance place and not get them spiraling because of this really harsh feedback. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you're saying because it's such a good point about fit for the role or even fit for the organization. I was thinking about this recently because often when we have someone who's working, uh, let's say, in a role where they report to us or you're training someone to work in a role that you've done or that you currently do, if they're not like, you know, doing as well as at it at the beginning or it doesn't seem like they're performing super well, I think we just have this assumption that we make that the person is just not going to do well at anything. (laughs) And in fact, like it Mm -hmm. may just be that this person doesn't do well at this, but they might thrive at something else. And so um, it's not necessarily the case that the person doesn't want to do a good job or that they're generally um, not striving for perfection, but rather that this is just not the, the role or uh, the organization for them. And that's okay. So I do kind of feel like that's, um, a good point uh, to keep in mind that even if someone is underperforming in a role, they could still have some perfectionistic strivings and be hurt by the feedback. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think it's, yeah, I, I really love kind of that motto to live by when it comes to employees and people that you work with, because like if someone's in a job, that's just really not the right fit for them. Like 
Imagine how much that sucks. Imagine what that struggle's like for them to be like, I am in this job. Most people want to do well at work and they're not doing well. And there's really nothing that they can do to make it better because it's just not a good fit. Like, and then you come along and you give some really negative feedback in a way that makes it feel even harsher and more internal to themselves versus a good leader might come and say, Hey, you know, I see you're struggling with X. Like, what do you think that is? And having a conversation and seeing if you can figure out like, is there, is it really a fit? Like, this is just not the type of thing this person's good at and help them see what their secret talents are so that they can then pivot, right? Mm -hmm. Help them move into something else. Maybe they're not going to be on your team. Maybe they should change careers. And like, that can be really hard and scary and not great, but you can have a conversation, a constructive, positive learning environment where people will then transition their way out and into something else. Yeah. Um, versus this destructive piece where it becomes like internalized and you just think like the, the employee could just easily think like, I just suck at everything and that's it. And then you feel that person feels like a failure and it's really hard to like then find what the other role is or get the confidence to do better in this one. So yeah, there's, I think it's a really, really good way to look at things. Um, a little bit of a tangent to this, but to your point, you know, just because someone's not good at their job because it's not the right fit doesn't mean they're not striving. Doesn't mean that they don't have high expectations for themselves and that this could really have a bad impact on them. Yeah. And I think that the, the idea of having a broad view of constructiveness is really important. It can be constructive to say, okay, this is a better way to do this task or this is, um, you know, I understand that you're trying to do a good job. Here are some tips um, or whatever the case may be. But if it doesn't seem to be resonating and people aren't picking up on it, it's also perfectly constructive to say, let's talk about your career path and your career goals and what might be a better fit for you if this isn't working out. And that that is a form of constructiveness as well. So um, I think there's a lot of different ways to be constructive and your idea of don't be a jerk about giving feedback, I think is a good one because it feels like that is the key to unlocking this negativity that we want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I thought there were some really good tangible takeaways from this article. I think it's really, I mean, maybe easier for some than others to not be a jerk with giving feedback, but at least something easy to work on, right? It's very clear what to do and how to make be better for those around you. And then if you're an employee struggling with getting that kind of criticism, um, then I think it's, you know, it's normal based on this research to beat yourself up and to feel like you're failing. This We are now telling you that it's not you. It's that person being a jerk. You can work through this and take that time to um, separate yourself from that criticism so that you can maybe protect some of your wellness while you're figuring out your next step. Yeah. So stop beating yourself up. Reflect on the fact that maybe it's the feedback that's driving those feelings. Maybe remember some of the positive strengths that other people in the past have commented upon and think about how you might continue striving, whether in this job or in a job that's a better fit. And um, if that's helpful uh, for capitalizing on those pieces of perfectionism that actually are useful for our well-being, you'll feel a lot better, it sounds like. So it would be a worthwhile task to recognize the ugly head of perfectionism when it rears itself and to recenter yourself on <laughs> um what you can learn and what you do well. 
Exactly. Well, thank you for listening to this episode and this article. Um, for all of you listeners out there, if you want to reach us, you can always find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com um, or find us on social in our community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Thank you.